You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. All right, welcome everyone. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host for the Scaling Up Services podcast. Today we're speaking with Scott Gerber, who is, he's a bunch of things. So let me go through a little bit about what Scott has done. So as a business owner, he's CEO of the Community Company, which is an organization that focuses on building community-driven programs for media and global brands. He's founder of YEC, Young Entrepreneurial Council, right? Did I get mm-hmm. the acronym right? Yep. Uh, which is invitation-only organization for young, successful entrepreneurs. Also, uh, the Forbes Councils, uh, which is an invitation-only organization for elite executives. He's a speaker. He's co-author of Super Connectors, is author of Never Get a Real Job, and he's been featured in lots of different places, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Bloomberg. I will put all of that in the show notes. It's, it's quite impressive, uh, including his Twitter handle down here. So, you know, Scott, I think the, I always like to start with just a little bit of uh, history, background. Tell mm-hmm. us about yourself, kind of how you got to where you are today, and then we can kind of dig into the topic and, and your content. Totally. So about 15 years ago, I had started my first business while I was in college and took a company from zero to making a lot of money while I was a college student to a year later, promptly nearly bankrupting myself through a combination of dumb decisions, egotism, just the worst breed of bad decision making rubrics you could possibly imagine. And, you know, when I diagnosed myself prior to my real job toting mother, who was a 30 year stalwart of the Board of Education in New York City, telling me it was time to get a real job and stop, (laughs) you know, doing all these other things. I thought to myself, well, one, how could I take this hard knocks lesson learned, you know, approach to life and throw it in the garbage to go work some remedial job? So, you know, Went introspective, figured out what my biggest challenge was, and then took the last $700 left to my name uh, and ultimately built my first services business called Sizzle It, which I then went on to build other businesses thereafter. But the real moment that I think has stuck with me ever since was not that I diagnosed that I spent too much or that I was trying to keep up with the Joneses or that I was you know doing that. It was the fact that I didn't put a very smart inner circle around me. I didn't have a a group of people that I could have actual meaningful and authentic conversations uh, with that understood what I was trying to do, that fundamentally understood my journey, the path, the business world, all those little nuances. And I think I was getting a lot of really bad advice, not because the people were uninformed or not well-intentioned, but that they weren't the right people for what I was going through at that stage of my life. And so I sort of made a promise to myself that I would never again allow for myself or any other other young entrepreneur at that time to, to sort of feel alone, to feel like they yeah. didn't have any community around them. Years later, I would create YEC uh, to really sort of fulfill that mission, that promise to myself after yeah. my first successful business, and then sort of took that model ultimately. Uh, and with my partner, Ryan, who's also the co-author of the book, uh, really take that model of building community and now power some of the largest brands in the world that also build communities using the same methodologies, technologies, and benefits. Um, so, you know, my story is really about understanding fundamentally that your social capital is the only currency that matters. Doesn't matter what business yeah. in, uh, is in, doesn't matter what your skill set is. Um, but I, I am, uh, and I think your, your audience will, will dig this. I mean, you know, I am not a technologist. I am not an exponential scale entrepreneur in the sense of valuation over everything. I am very much a people-driven company with real cogs, with real CAC, you know, with all the things that matter. But we build customer for customer, person at a time, uh, and we do it a way in which has scaled into a very large multi-million dollar business. 
but through methodical relationship building. Yeah, and I think that's key. I mean, I, the thing about services business is it tends to be built around relationships, whether it's yep. relationships with customers, employees, it's people serving people. So I think this is key. So one thing I really loved about your book or concept that came out uh, from the book that I really loved was this, the difference between networking and connecting. Yep. So t- tell me a little bit about that because I think that's a really key and important yep. distinction. Well, it's not semantics. I think uh, a lot of people that write books try to like, you know, put some key term in so that they can have like a headline clickbait type thing. This to me is an actual difference of lens and perspective. So, and I can, I can make this so clear, so simple to your audience. So Bruce, tell me the last time you had an amazing experience with a networker. (laughs) Amazing experience (laughs) with a networker. Yeah. And there, and there you go. I mean, that's, you answered the question right there, right? It's this idea that a networker by definition is sort of this methodical person that's out for personal gain, that's treating people like quotas and numbers, that's thinking transaction over relationship, very, very short-term thinking. And, you know, it's the stereotypical business card conference kind of guy that you want to avoid like the plague. Yeah, I'm chuckling because I think I've, I think I have about three or four uh, LinkedIn messages right now from networkers. And, networkers, <laughs> and they're very non-self-aware people that yeah. think that this is the way to do it because that's the way they were taught and they were taught by others and so on and so forth. Connectors think very differently. They're emotionally intelligent. They're empathetic. They are thinking about value creation for others through community building, first and foremost, not personal gain. They're much more, more long-term. They don't think transactionally. And they believe really in the power of what a community around yourself can deliver for all parties, including themselves concerned. Yeah. It doesn't mean they don't want to make money. It doesn't mean they don't want to have profit, but they do it in a truly, and I say authentic, even though that's become the new t-shirt as well, but um, they do it in an actually authentic way. They are human first. They, They very much understand the power of relationship building and they don't aim to cheat the relationships that they are building. And so I think that just the difference of perspective is, you know, if you are someone who is looking to really look at the long term as a lifetime and a business that you're looking to build, that you're not trying to flip something, that you're not trying to, you know, just get some quick wins, then the idea of being a connector is much smarter because again, especially in businesses like the service industry, you know, the only difference between you and the next guy is the handshake that you have with the person across the table from you in all cases. And so, you know, it's the idea of saying like, you know, hey, let's skip all those years of relationship and those many coffee meetings and me talking about my wife to you and me doing all these things for you and you doing for me. And let's skip all that and just get to the punchline. Like who wants to do that? That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, and so that that's the key difference. Not transactional, long-term, habitually generous givers. Uh, you, so as a, are some of these things innate skills or are these th- or innate kind of characteristics or are they skills that you develop? I think Help it's me both. Okay. I think that there is this fallacy along with a number of other myths that being a connector is some innate skill that it's all for type A extroverts that, you know, that that's that's the, the key. Yeah. Um, the reason Ryan and I wrote the book the way we did is because I am, as you could probably tell already, a very much a type A extrovert, <laughs> you know, throw me in any room kind of guy. My partner is an extreme opposite. He is a hardcore introvert. Yeah. And I would argue that, you know, through uh, working with Ryan for now nearly a decade, as well as other introverts that we know and connectors we talk to in the book, introverts actually many times are actually better connectors than extroverts because their perceived weaknesses are actually utilized as strengths in the way that they reposition to make sure they're always putting their best foot forward in environments they're comfortable in. So no, they're not going to yeah. walk into a 5,000 person conference, but instead 
they're going to go and figure out the research. Who are the 10 people that are going to that conference that I can invite to a private oasis, have, you know, host a private dinner or do a private function and have more meaningful conversations with the 10 people that actually matter rather than the 10,000 that are at the trade show. So, you know, it's, I think this is a very learnable skill set. But what I will say is this, I think the problem in today's society is that we are looking for the five minute apps, right? And, and so it's, you know, drink this shake and you're going to be healthy. And people are not willing to put the work in of understanding that relationships don't, you know, just materialize overnight. You wouldn't marry your husband or wife after one date in most cases, right? So why should this person you go into business with, why should a person writing you a hundred thousand dollar check or putting 10% of their, you know, company's revenue through your process as a vendor on the line, because you said you're good at what you do. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I think people are taking for granted today because of things like social media, where there's such instant and ongoing communication in every format. People assume that they are connected when in reality, they're farther from connected than ever before. So what makes the meaningful connection? So if we're talking about building, and maybe the question around that too is, how many connections are we looking for? Uh, Is there a sweet spot? Should I be targeting a certain amount? Uh, And then what are the nature of those connections? Yeah, so I like to think of it as, you know, first and foremost, who is actually in your inner circle? Who are the people that you're going to go up with together? That could be five or 10 people that you are always going to have in your life that you trust. And again, these don't have to be, I want to advise people to stop thinking like the Richard Branson effect, right? It's like, I just need, you know, to be mentored by Richard Branson and the rest is going to fall into place, right? It's nonsense. The best people in my life have historically been people like, you know, lawyers and and accountants. Like it sounds so boring, but you know what? Sometimes boring is a good thing. You know, know, not everybody in your life should be telling you to, you know, go climb Everest and, you know, look to parachute off of it for a quick headline, (laughs) right? So, but, but it's people in my life that I have, like in my world, I have someone who is by all all definitions like an entrepreneur's entrepreneur, you know, no. building multi-billion dollar businesses multiple times over. And I also have somebody who I've known since college that, you know what, he's a restaurateur mm. and he's a grinder, hustler, you know, street smart guy. But having those perspectives is helping me to educate my own mindset and also to be able to be more worldly in my thinking. Why I say there's no magic number. I mean, there's all kinds of studies like Dunbar's number and you're the yes. average of the five people you hang out with and all those things. And those are all materially beneficial. But the reality is, is is that when you are deep and not wide with a core group of people, then those inner circles have individuals who also have inner circles. Mm. And so over time, you're able to have multiple levels of access, but it's because you've gone so deep with people that have such trust in you that they become your super connectors, your advocates, your anchors, as we call them, to help you build into these other communities. And so rather than trying to go and meet a hundred people and make these people your best friends, I like to say that some people might be in season one as, as, a strong leading man or woman, and then season three, they're a recurring character, right? You're always going to have your inner circle ever present ongoing in your life because you want to always ensure that you directionally have people that all sort of have their eye on the prize. So there is no magic formula here. It's what works best for you. But I think it's, it's, if you feel you're stretched too thin and your success is becoming secondary to relationship building, Hmm. then that's not good either. I think you have to find that balance. What, so I'm curious what factors you would suggest looking at I'm curious what things you kind of do in terms of a self-assessment saying, look, this is who I am. These are my strengths and weaknesses. What should I be bringing into my inner circle relative to that? And then also kind of that, depending on what my goals are, ambitions, current trajectories, how that might impact inner circle. I don't know if you have thoughts or suggestions on how someone would strategize and who, who to connect with or who to bring into that. I think that at the end of the day, you have to look very much at 
your personal journey to determine what's best and also look at your strengths and weaknesses, right? You can't have just a lot of people that are exactly like you. You want to have a contrarian viewpoint. You want to have people that are going to question your core beliefs, not because uh, you're necessarily going to change your viewpoint, but you should be able to speak for it. You should be able to see things in a different way. I would argue that a lot of my friends are hardcore tech entrepreneurs, right? And I am very much against building businesses that I can't see a path to cash. And it's not because I don't think there are times and places to have technology businesses uh, that are sort of building for a different kind of outcome. But you're talking about what is the risk tolerance of a business. And I argue that most entrepreneurs uh, don't have the stomach or the resources for what it takes to, you know, quote unquote, figure out the revenue equation later. But you need somebody to sometimes with that perspective, tell the guy who's worried about the cash, like, this is why you're not growing effectively. This is maybe how your user strategy is not working. You know, how do you think about becoming a revenue multiple business instead of an EBITDA multiple business so that when the time comes for exit, you're thinking about both perspectives to maximize your outcomes. That's not a bad conversation or bad people to have. And so I think the questions you want to start figuring out is who are the groups that you most associate with first and foremost? Are those groups indicative of your personal journey and the path you want? Are you putting yourself in an old school chamber of commerce that maybe, you know what, it's a bunch of people who are just so misaligned with the way you think, act, and and want to run your business that that doesn't make sense? Can you realign that time and mindset along with, you know, the new cool tech group that you can start to meet people that might think differently, even though you're a bit different than their core business. I think those are some of the things you want to figure out. But at the end of the day, it should be groups of people who challenge you, who are uh, equally as ambitious as you, who have different perspectives, but you agree on a core thesis, like you care about something equally, like Mm. in the case of YEC, when we started it, we have entrepreneurs from all over the spectrum, but they all believe that the fundamental principle of youth entrepreneurship is a viable career path is something that they wanted to tout from the mountaintops as a collective to the next generation of entrepreneurs. That's what binded us together. But that idea is, is that later on, they can have conversations about all other kinds of things, yeah. but they had a common bond to start. Yeah. Those are some of the key insights I would say are important to you. You have to audit yourself to determine what you're looking for out of success, to, to have a lens of who ultimately are the right people that are going to see that journey similarly to be on the right path together as a collective. Yeah, I was that, that kind of idea of we want a common set of values, but diversity of opinions and perspectives and experiences and, yep. and bringing that to the table. So we're talking a lot about sort of the individual. I think one of the other ideas that I liked that you brought up was this idea of that a brand or that a business should have that same kind of community, that same kind of set of connections. Talk to me about the difference between uh, as an individual, how you do that versus as a company, how you do that. Sure. I mean, at the end of the day, look, you know, I think that we've, we've sort of bought this idea hook, line and sinker that the Facebooks, the Twitters, the LinkedIn's, that that is our quote unquote community, right? And the reality is those are series of vanity metrics playing a game so that people can have your attention or your customer's attention to sell advertising. That's what those platforms exist to do. They provide a purpose to you, but that's what they exist to do. And I think as you're seeing a lot of these algorithms change away from the historic you know, brand content being out there more publicly and organically to now a more human first message, it's very important that brands take a look at what their core ethos actually is to convene people, not just assume that there's likes and tweets and shares on a platform. And so I think it's very important that you really think as a brand, what do I stand for? For who do I mean something to and how can I create a community around that idea? So here's an example. Let's say you're a local restaurant business, okay? You know, you're not going to necessarily convene foodies, right? You're not going to convene people who love food. 
But you might say, okay, well, I'm an Applebee's-esque type diner that's really about neighborhood, local, being part of the community. What if I created a media site to have all the local sports coaches be able to contribute content, you know, talking about you know, the athletics of the area, then make it so that my restaurant becomes the official meeting place for after games or for during the drafting seasons or, or, or whatever the case yeah. is, you know, you're becoming a part of the community. You're taking stakeholders and giving them the right level of convene and connectivity to allow them to create value for others. But they're also using the core assets at their disposal and what they're about, their core ethos. So I think when you think like a connector lens, you have to say to yourself, how can you be habitually generous, but how can you also have the lens of what you care about and what you want to espouse as a brand be ever prevalent. And sometimes that's not obvious. Sometimes it takes some time. You know, again, like some people might say, if we're talking about um, service-based businesses, yep. you know, like a lawn, a lawn care company or landscaping, people will be like a landscaping company. What the hell do I want to, what do I need a community around landscaping? Well, you know what? I would argue that your top clients, yeah. you know, in, in many places are thinking things like, how do I ensure this spring my grass is not going to look like, you know, horrible? How do I build an exterior that's going to really make my house stand out? You know, an Instagram community of people that your brand brings together of the top lawn care environments yeah. that have been created to have conversation around, you know, what the way they went about doing XYZ or what tips and tricks they use to ensure that their property looked spectacular, you know, is not a bad thing for you to be the convener of, the facilitator of some basic areas that you can play a role. Doing a mini event, as stupid as it sounds in yeah. some cases, like in your local community, you know, these kinds of things, they take work. But if you're consistent, if you are convening great people that care about something that they want to be convened around, if yeah. you are become known for that, and if you're not frankly giving a sales pitch every five minutes, because that's crucial, this cannot be like, hey, let me tell you all about me, that this is all about them. And when they see what you're doing, it comes back to you. That's the key to building a smart community program for your business. And I think one of the things that I've seen work really well is when you find those topics, those subjects that have a strong affinity. So for like the lawn care, like, you know, something about the environment and the use of pesticides in different ways. Like if you can tap into those threads and those veins of topics that people that you're trying to build community with are already talking about and you can be a facilitator for that, I yep. find those being like really, really effective. Absolutely. I think that, look, the reality today is, is that it is easier than ever for anybody, big, small, big company, small company, yeah. individual freelancer to, to basically become a publisher. And so if you can ultimately co-lead those conversations by convening the right kind of stakeholders that want to be engaging and talking, whether publicly or privately through these, you know, forums or exchanges of, of, you know, uh, in person or, or online, I think that there is a major role to play when you are seen as sort of the center of the sphere of influence that is bringing together this value-add community. Where people get it wrong is they try to turn it into a marketing channel and a platform for direct selling. This is where you get more of that MLM-style yucky feel mm, yeah. uh, and people just run for the rafters. So I think it's very, very important that you, again, it's consistent. It's something you care about, but it, you shouldn't be like the same way you spend on an advertising type thing. You shouldn't expect like my ROI on this will be X dollars to X cents based on yeah. X top line. It, you can't think like that with these types of communities. And how do you think about it then? So, so I, you build a community. How do you engage people in more of a brand product service discussion? When do you do that? How do you do that? Yep. Have you seen 
Same thing. Sure. Pick away. I'll, I'll give you a perfect story yeah. that I think sums this up really well. In the book, we talk about a gentleman named Derek Coburn, who's a wealth manager. So you want to talk about a service business, yeah, this is yeah, financial perfect. advisor, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and what he said was, you know, to me, he's like, look, Scott, most people in the United States that are wealth managers have, you know, low single digit referral businesses and, and only the creme de la creme have, you know, 10 plus percent, whatnot. Well, he was banking 30 plus percent referrals wow. year over year, and he did it very much methodically and very simply, but did it again with a connector lens. And this is the exact thing he did. He looked at his consumer base and he's like, look, you know, I could make this about money. I can make this about investment strategies or whatever, but if I'm going to do an event, I want it to be something meaningful to the people. So he did, he basically took the business side of it and he threw it in the river and he's like, what do all these people really care about? What kind of experience can I deliver? That is just something that fits all the points. And so we came up with wine. Now, not just any wine, but like the most expensive, you know, most exclusive <laughs> kinds of wine in the world. Yeah. And he, he went to his customers. He made this a customer appreciation event. And this was the rule. He said, look, you're allowed to bring a plus one. It could be anybody you want, but they must have a high appreciation for this kind of wine because the event is solely around this kind of wine. Huh. Now, what he basically did was put criteria on the room for a certain kind of individual yeah. that likely is, is, you know, making a certain kind of money. A high correlation to target. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right now, in addition to that, he also put himself in a in an environment where the plus one is likely going to be somebody who is number one, like we just said, a, a target potential client. Number two is likely going to be someone where the referrer is going to want to show off being like, look at this event I'm bringing you to for this high end opportunity. Number three, before people even enter the room, you know that the conversation mm. between the referrer and the referee is what's this event? Who's doing it? Why do they do it? What's he about? Good guy. And some comment like that might come out of it, which is like, well, my financial advisor doesn't do this for me, <laughs> right? Now, all of a sudden, you've got all these people talking about something they all care passionately about. It's total human first conversation. And naturally, what's going to happen? At some point, the referrer is going to come up with his refer or her referee to Derek and say, Derek, I'd like to introduce you to John. John does X, Y, Z. John's going to say, hey, nice to meet you. Thanks so much for this event. You know, I, I hear great things. Would love to learn more. And now the pitch is natural. Yeah. I guess the way that I would explain it to your audience in a simply put kind of way is profit is not a bad thing. The way you go about defining profit and achieving profit, that is the bad thing. I think what people have to do is reverse engineer their success by looking at the bigger picture of it's people first. What can you show to people and do for people that really gets them to get a sense of you as a person rather than a pitchman product hype person? That there's, the world is full of that. And so if you can create an environment online, offline, whatever it is, that means you stand for something more than what you do, but your humanity shines hmm. through and people speak for what you do, that ultimately is the value that can be created from building a smart community. I like that. It's kind of that uh, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And so this really sort of sets the stage for that, allows that to happen. And then the ones that are ready and interested and willing will naturally gravitate over towards a sales yep. conversation. Like yep. you don't have to force it. You just, you kind of create fecund ground for it to happen. Correct. So a uh, couple last questions I, in terms of, actually implementing this. What are mm -hmm. some of the things that you typically see people kind of get wrong? What are the better ways? Give us some, yep. some more tips, tricks, strategies on how we actually go about doing this. Well, first and foremost, I think it's important. 
you have to be incredibly selective. The only asset that every person has equally, doesn't matter how rich, poor, powerful, lack of power you have is your time. And so one of my earliest mentors said to me, and I think I said it a little earlier in the in the podcast, is you know, real relationships take real time and you can't cheat real time. I've since amended and added to say, your goal should be to cheat your time in order to build in more relationship time. And so you can hack your time by doing things smarter, like saying no more often, right? Everybody that I know is a lot of them are the first thing they want to do is say yes. You know, email is the only thing where someone you've never met can give you a homework assignment. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and so the reality is you, you've got to be incredibly methodical around your time. And you know what? That doesn't mean you're going to be everybody's best friend. It doesn't mean everybody is going to be happy with the decisions you make. But I get more emails in a given week of, hey, I'd love to see you. Hey, I'd love to go out for a cup of coffee. Oh, hey, I'd love to partner with you. Things that are just like to talk about what? To do what? What do you want to, you know, just because I want to help them make a smarter ask, but more times than not, it's usually just, hey, I just want to hang out. And that's cool if I'm in that mode. But if it's a business thing, you know, you got to be specific in order to get on the calendar. The second thing is, you know, looking at ways in which you can turn yourself into uh, from a priority level to prioritize your success first, but build in daily rituals that you can do to build in that habitual generosity. Uh, in the book, there's a gentleman named Adam Rifkin who came up with something called Five Minute Favors, where he figures out every day how he can help one, two people in five minutes that might have exponential impact on what they're working on so that he can have this ongoing serendipity effect with people, but make it manageable on his time no. to ensure that the value doesn't overtake him. You know, uh, there's there's a great book I would recommend, uh, you know, besides ours. <laughs> uh, no, in all seriousness, there's a great book that Adam Grant, uh, if you're familiar uh, yeah. with him, uh, wrote called Give and Take. Yeah. And he has a very smart thesis, which is, you know, if you look at this pyramid of success, of who are the most successful and least successful people in his pyramid, givers are both on the top and yeah. the bottom of the pyramid. And the reason is, is because those at the top prioritize their own success through productivity, smarter intuition around who they should invest their time into. And the bottom were just giving without a cause. Like, I just want to yeah. give, 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 give to look like a good person or to, you know, feel like I'm connecting people. And that's, you can't do that. So that's, that's the first thing. Productivity overall, mm -hmm. success has to be your main focus in your own life because no one wants to connect with an unsuccessful person. And so that's one. Second is to get a rid of a lot of the preconceptions around who you should be connecting with. I think, again, there is this stigma uh, that people, I, I, you know, like I said earlier with Richard Branson, people assume it's always whoever the CEO, the president, the leader of the company, like I will tell you right now that the chances of getting me in a cold email today, and I, listen, I'm only a business that's, you know, you know, many millions, but not like hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars. I can tell you right now, cold emails get nowhere with me. <laughs> but if you come in through someone that you've built trust with on my team, in my family, you know, things like that, you're probably going to have a better chance of, of pulling my attention. Yeah. And so I think we have to look at the actual influence that people have versus <laughs> the perceived influence people have on the decision makers or individuals that that ultimately will matter to your overall community. Because I'll tell you right now, I think more times than not going through a, a business development person rather than the CEO for a business deal is going to be more likely successful or the, yeah. the assistant BD or the assistant to the BD. So that, that's, that's number two. And then number three, I would say, you know, building an oasis strategy. We, we talk a lot about this a lot in the book. I sort of mentioned earlier that my partner and I are diametrically opposed, you know, from an extrovert introvert perspective. Yeah. And, you know, what we've learned together, though, is, is that people all want the same thing when they go to large scale events. They want to build relationships. But whether you're, again, the type A or the introvert, 
they can be incredibly overwhelming, incredibly unfulfilling, very difficult to actually figure out who makes sense to me, why they make sense to me. And so anything that you can do to play curator and convener of offsite or online experiences that are hyper curated, that people you're going to bring in will see the value, not necessarily just you being involved, but of the others that you are curating, that is incredibly valuable. And I think something that people, you know, are so inundated with thinking they've got to be a part of the traditional real estate of like, I go to a conference to go to the conference. They don't think about what if I could pull the 10, 15 people out of that conference that truly should know one another and I should know and make it the most experiential thing they've ever seen in their lives because of the engagement and level of curation and conversation you can achieve. So I think to sum that up, don't play by other people's real estate. You know, just because Facebook or LinkedIn says do this because that's their game doesn't mean you shouldn't just do a Facebook group versus post your life story. Just because a conference says come watch 50 speakers, listen to some brands talk and and, and go to the drinks and cocktail hour doesn't mean you should do a private exterior event doing research for three weeks prior of everybody that you want to meet, bringing them all together for one really amazing evening and going all in on, on making that a special opportunity for all. You just got to have a different lens on how the world works and how to use the world to the advantage of a connector versus that of the networker or sheep that everybody else is sort of doing day in and day out. Yeah. No, and I, I like that uh, kind of that idea of focus. You know, really create a definition of your target. Who who do you really want to speak to? Who's really going to be – who can really impact and you can, who can really impact you? Create a really kind of structured, focused experience around that and use that rather than trying to – build thousands of people and you're following. Very helpful. Good. Scott, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking. Thanks for being on the podcast. People would like to learn more about you and the company, YEC, et cetera. What's the best way to contact you? Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott Gerber. You can check out the book, buy it anywhere books are sold or go to superconnectorbook.com. And for Community Co. and all things uh, the community company, just go to community.co and uh, you can learn more about what we do every day. Awesome. And Scott, I'll put all of your information on the uh, show notes here below the video and uh, on the podcast. Again, thank you so much. Thank you for everyone for joining us. If you like the uh, episode, like and subscribe, give us a review, send us some feedback. You can send feedback to feedback at scalingupservices.com. We'd love to get uh, notes. We'd love to get ideas, suggestions for new guests and things. So Scott, thanks again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.